Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 36, following along with lesson 35, Helaman chapters 13 to 16. This last week, Lex and I hiked Mount Timpanogos with our friends Charlie and Dant, uh, who were my guests on last week's episode. And this has been a goal on Lex's goal list for the year. Uh, I had hiked it previously, so this is my second time doing it, but her first. And about halfway up, my knee started swelling. And thankfully, nothing bad happened. We made it to the summit, we got down, but it was a painful 48 hours uh, recovery process afterwards. But I'm, we're you know, really glad that we accomplished that and got that marked off the, the goal list. And then I want to give a shout out to uh, Shelby, and Shelby Renshaw and Mama Taylor, Appreciate that you guys listen to the podcast and also appreciate the uh, positive feedback on the show. Always good to hear. Another first that Lex and I actually had this week was that we went camping with our kids. And I realized that not only was it our children's first tent camping experience, but it was also the first camping experience Lex and I have had in our marriage. So, uh, yeah, it was. we went with our friends Avery and Braxton and their son. And it's just good time. It, I was really worried about how the kids would do, but they did great. Uh, they slept well for the most part, um, did a pretty good job. So just a a good week for outdoor activities. Uh, I do want to make note and take just a second that this week, some tragic news, the, uh, the passing of Chadwick Boseman, who was the, uh, the actor who played Black Panther in the Marvel series and just a super talented actor. And my thoughts and prayers with his family during this time, and uh and just my condolences just you know one of those one of those people who really had an impact on a lot of people uh me, myself included uh just the way he you know his talents and the way he used them um really had an impact so obviously not like the best of news in the world and just my thoughts and prayers like i said with his family and uh, those that were you know really close with him and, and just, you know, for the rest of us who feels like a one of those bright spots in the world is gone. So with that, we'll get into the lesson uh, and, and into the intro. So the first time Samuel the Lamanite tried to share glad tidings in Zarahemla, he was rejected and cast out by the hard-hearted Nephites. You might say it was as if they had built an impenetrable wall around their hearts and prevented them from receiving Samuel's message. Samuel understood the importance of the message he bore and demonstrated faith by following God's commandment that he should return again and prophesy. Just as Samuel did, we all just excuse me, just as Samuel did, we all encounter walls as we prepare the way of the Lord and strive to follow his prophets. And I want to stop there for a second and just say that through Samuel's story and his experience, it's a great example of resilience. And for us, because it's true, we all will encounter walls and we all do encounter walls as we prepare the way of the Lord. And we've got to be resilient. We've got to build up that that trait of resilience if we're going to get anything done in God's kingdom. So continuing on, and like Samuel, we too bear witness of Jesus Christ, who surely shall come and invite all to believe on his name. Not everyone will listen, and some may actively oppose us. 
but those who believe in this message with faith in Christ find that it is truly glad tidings of great joy. Uh, in ideas for personal scripture study, so the first section, first chunk, the Lord gives warnings through his prophets. In the scriptures, in the scriptures, prophets are sometimes compared to watchmen on a wall or tower who warn of dangers. President Russell M. Nelson taught, or no, excuse me, President M. Russell Ballard taught, through the centuries, prophets have fulfilled their duty when they have warned people of the dangers before them. The Lord's apostles are duty-bound to watch, warn, and reach out to help those seeking answers to life's questions. I love that, that duty-bound um, part of that. As you study and ponder Helaman 13, you could mark the many warnings that Samuel gave. For example, what did he teach about repentance, about humility and wealth? How might these warnings apply to you? What warnings have modern prophets given recently, and what do you feel you should do about those warnings? So just some thoughts that I had here. First, the warnings that Samuel gives. Uh, this is just a couple I jotted down. One, he explained that the sword of justice was hanging over the people. It's a pretty big warning, I feel like. Number two, that the spirit would be removed from them if they continued in their wicked ways. Um, number three, a curse would come upon the land. Number four, people would lose their treasure, which is, is actually similar to the, the curse part. I feel like it was part of it. And then number five, they'd be surrounded by demons or uh, Satan and his followers. And those are pretty, to me, all of those are pretty heavy, heavy warnings. And uh, my thoughts with President Nelson, just taking from this last conference, some things that he kind of shared and invited us. So number one is that President Nelson invited us all to fast for relief from the pandemic. Uh, I that was a big takeaway. I had something that he had uh, off invited us to do, excuse me. Another thing, he invited us to study the restoration restoration message and uh, the proclamation that was given during conference, both privately and with our family. And then another thing, and the final thing that I noted was that he gave an apostolic blessing in his talk. And I want to read this. Um, if you haven't gone back and read his go forward in faith talk, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, I, when I read it, I remembered but I totally had not remembered that he gave an apostolic blessing. I don't want to read it. It's at the end. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I express my love for you. During this time of tension and uncertainty and invoking the authority vested in me, I would like to confer upon you an apostolic blessing. I bless you with peace and increasing faith in the Lord. I bless you with a desire to repent and become a little more like him each day. I bless you to know that the prophet Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. Should there be illness among you or your loved ones, I leave a blessing of healing consistent with the will of the Lord. I so bless you, adding once more my expression of love for each of you in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is so powerful. Um, I mean, I just feel the spirit right away reading that blessing. And especially, you know, it's funny. That blessing has become more and more important in the passing months since conference, I feel like. More and more's happened, especially that time, that that line during this time of tension and uncertainty. Um, you know, and just how powerful of a blessing that end part where it says, "Should there be illness among you and your loved ones, I leave a blessing of healing consistent with the will of the Lord." That's powerful. It's powerful to me, and it increases my faith. So those are the thoughts I had there, and I'm so grateful. And I bear my testimony of President Russell M. Nelson and his mission on Earth to be the mouthpiece for God and to lead and direct. God's church in this last day. And the next chunk, the Lord is merciful to those who repent. 
It says, originally Samuel was sent to the Nephites to share the joyful news of the Savior's coming. Because they rejected him, he returned with stern warnings of the judgments of God. But those warnings consistently included a merciful invitation to repent. Look for these invitations throughout Helaman 13 through 15. And it continues, but I want to stop here. Here's what I've been thinking here on repentance and how, uh, you know, with this title of the chunk, the Lord is merciful to those who repent. I have struggled to comprehend the Lord's infinite mercy, and I and I still struggle to comprehend it. I feel like it's tough as mortals to understand that repent that in repentance we can repent an infinite amount of times. Like we can just continue to repent even as we fail. And obviously, the goal isn't to keep failing, but the goal is a it's a process. Repentance is a process, not an event. And so often, I I get caught in the trap that repentance is an event that you you have to repent once and get it right after that. And if you fail, like you you triple fail, double failed, like it just continues in this like compound failures kind of thing. And that's not how the Lord looks at it at all. It's tough for me to understand it, but I do have faith in the scriptures that that is not how it is the way I see it. Um, and something that's helped me was uh, like as a dad, every time Flynn apologizes for being like a punk and for, for doing the things that we ask him not to do or anytime he's mean to his sister and I have to get after him, when he so- comes and says sorry and gives me a hug, like every single time, even though it's like this is a repetitive thing, every single time my heart just swells within me and my love for him and I immediately just want to wrap my arms around him and just give him as much love as I can. In my imperfect way, that helps me understand how the Lord feels about us and about me specifically. Um, like I said, I, I can't fathom it. And it's really tough for me to understand because I feel like I'm so, so horribly imperfect. And I keep continually making the same mistakes over and over and over again. I'm such an impatient person. And because of my impatience, that ends up you know, hurting those I love the most. And as I continue to strive to overcome my impatience and become a patient person and an eternally patient person. I feel like that's just been a struggle for years and years of my life. And sometimes it's tough for me to fathom that the Lord still loves me every time I have to get on my knees and apologize for being impatient, that he's there with open arms and, and you know, is there telling me try again, and try again and, and keep going. But like I said, for me, as I've experienced being a dad and my love for Flynn, especially as he says the words, I'm sorry, um, it really does. It changes everything for me. It changes my whole perspective. So I hold on to that. And I have faith that that is like, like I said, heavenly father is a perfect parent. And I know that his love is far greater than mine for my own son, which is really just heavenly father's son. And, uh, that really helps me. So I hope that we can all have faith that Christ and heavenly father really are eternally merciful to us as we repent and don't stop repenting it's when we stop repenting that we fail not in the process of repentance and the next chunk signs and wonders can strengthen the faith of those who do not harden their hearts in helaman 14 samuel explained the reason the lord provided signs of the savior's birth and death to the intent that you might believe on his name as you study or excuse me to the intent that you might believe on his name period as you study helaman 14 Note the signs of the Savior's birth in verses 1 through 8 and the signs of his death in verses 20 to 28. Why do you think these ver- these signs would be effective ways to signify the birth and death of Jesus Christ? Now, the verse that I want to 
uh, focus on actually was in 14 verse 25, uh, speaking of signs of his death. And many graves shall be opened and shall yield up many of their dead and many saints shall appear unto many. This is something that like I know is taught and I know we talk about it, but I just feel like we don't talk about this a lot. Um, the fact that at Christ's resurrection, other saints were resurrected too and were appearing unto to many. Um, in my head right now, I can't even think of specifics who like specific people who were resurrected or anything or specific experiences from this. I don't know if uh, maybe I just have been horrible at studying like the New Testament and uh, and miss this whole what chapter or verses, but yeah, I just think that's a really cool sign that was given and a sign that happened and that we just don't talk about it a lot. That was just something that stuck out to me. Um, it goes on to say, can you think of any signs the Lord has given to help you believe in him? And, you know, discussing signs. Uh, I won't read the rest of it because I want to talk about it. But in the way that signs are given for us of Christ and like the second coming and, th- and the things that are to come, what I was thinking about is that it's similar to road signs. Like, like, like an actual sign, the signs are similar to road signs. It doesn't mean that you're there yet. Like when I'm driving on the freeway, uh, the signs help me to know where I am, how much further I have to go, uh, you know, and that I'm on the right path. An experience I had that further kind of testified of this to me is that as we were hiking Timpanogos, there's this part, it's a shell field. And as we were going through that, we actually tried to take a shortcut to kind of cut that um, part of the hike you know, shorter. That's what a shortcut is, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, as we were going through the shell field, I got lost because the the path wasn't exactly, uh, it wasn't a path, like at least not a good one. And so I had to stand there for a second and look around. And I was like, uh-oh, how do I get to the, you know, the next step of this hike? And someone had, had made a carn that I was able to see and follow. And then it was, you know, a whole pathway of those and I followed those to get me through and I thought about how the same is the scriptures and the signs that have been given in the scriptures and have been testified of those are the same for us in our spiritual journey and as we prepare for the second coming of our savior it's to help us know where we're at that we're still on the right path and um, just that everything's moving forward the way it's supposed to go but it's not necessarily supposed to be like that and now you're here so, I don't know, that was just kind of thoughts I had, and it was, like I said, it was kind of cool that even through a miserable experience of a really, really long, painful hike with a blown knee, I was able to find some spiritual come follow me, uh, you know, study in there. And uh, so then, also still in this chunk, and at the at the end, excuse me, it says, what caution is given about signs and healing in chapter 16, to, uh, 13 to 23, how can you avoid the attitude of the people described in these verses? The specific verse that stuck out to me was 1616. Some things they may have guessed right among so many, but behold, we know that all these great and marvelous works cannot come to pass of which has been spoken. All right, I'm sorry, but how completely dumb and ignorant that statement is by the people. And I swear I've heard this very statement made by people in our day. Uh, like I actually have. I've, I have actually heard almost verbatim that very same thing. I don't... I don't want us to be so foolish as to believe that the commandments are to keep us in ignorance. Like by following the commandments, we are going to be stuck in ignorance and that, you know, we're actually being held from the truth. That is, that is not at all the case with the commandments or in following the prophet. Certainly has not been my experience. Uh, In verse 21, 
of chapter 16 it says and they will and they will by the cunning and the mysterious arts of the evil one work some great mystery which we cannot understand which will keep us down to be servants to their words and also servants unto them for we depend upon them to teach us the word and thus they will keep us in ignorance if we will yield ourselves unto them all the days of our lives that's another dumb saying from these people and the same dumb saying that we like we make in our day and that we need to avoid doing that but Literally, as we say these things, or as we believe these things, or as others believe these things, like that is taking us down a dark and dangerous path. Um, so, like, let's not do that. Let's use this as a warning, as an, and as an example. Uh, and also, I I do think, and I've said this before, I think it's a great fallacy uh, of actually a lot of members that is easy to fall down. If you believe that, like, we're supposed to just be putting kind of all of our, our learning and everything in the church and in, in the prophet's words and stuff like that in the sense of we do not act until they tell us what to do. Well, that's not the gospel message at all. And I feel like like our prophet and apostles have been trying to help guide us to not fall down that dangerous path of thinking with like for come follow me, for example. This, you know, emphasis on the home and teaching in the home and emphasis on like reading the scriptures and getting your own testimony and, and on and on and on. And I just get so nervous whenever I hear people talk about how it's, you know, essentially it's like they're missing the mark. They have faith in the prophets, but then they don't even act on the prophets words, which is gain your own testimony of what they're saying. It's just like, no, I'm just going to. You know, wait for general conference to get all that I need, all my spiritual nourishment. Well, that's not at all the right way uh, to do it. So, yeah, let's like let's all let's all like be careful and use this as a warning for all of us not to fall down these dark and uh, you know dangerous paths. The next chunk following the prophet's counsel brings me closer to the Lord. Elder Neil L. Anderson taught, I have found that as I prayerfully study the words of the prophet of God and carefully, with patience, spiritually align my will with his inspired teachings, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always increases. I love that. I love that. Also, I don't know if anyone else got this in school, but you learn that always and never are dangerous statements. Well, he said it. He said always. So can have faith in that if we choose to set his counsel aside and determine that we know better our faith suffers and our eternal per, uh, perspective is clouded how do the words and actions of the nephites and helaman 16 confirm what elder anderson taught what personal commitments do you feel you should make regarding the lord's prophets and their messages uh, just some things that i was thinking about is that it's super important to avoid rumors super important to avoid contentions and not only like causing contentions but also allowing others to draw us into contention, which I actually think is a danger. Like a, a, it poses more of a threat being drawn into danger, especially on social media. And also let's avoid iniquity. I think those are the three things that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this. And, you know, this is the perfect season to be practicing avoiding contention and getting into rumors and iniquity because, you know, election season coming up, and it's always like my least favorite time <laughs> to practice these types of things because, it all like, you know, all of a sudden everyone becomes extremely passionate. And uh, literally all you have to do is spend five minutes on social media to find out that I, I literally went through my social media the other day just to kind of see what's on people's feeds at this time. And it was pretty much five straight minutes of contentious 
political uh, discourse. And I was like, well, this isn't feeding or nourishing my soul. And so, like I said, we're about to enter into a great period of time to practice uh, truly being Christ-like. And, and I mean this for everybody. It doesn't matter what political party you're, like, you're aligned with. I think every single person, uh, from what I've, like, we all experience the exact same temptations to become contentious, to argue and fight with our brothers and sisters. And too often, I think we look at, especially politics, as a two-sided thing. Obviously, in America, we have the two-party system. And uh, often, those political debates, regardless of right or wrong, end up actually putting both people on the wrong side of God's line because, uh, you know, if we're not one, we're not his. And so these are just things that I try to keep in mind because I, like everyone, am just as prone to the temptations of contention and rumors and, and iniquity. And so that's something that, like I said, that's something that I was pondering for myself, but I invite you as well to do the same thing and, uh, just try to avoid contention. Let's go on to ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. Uh, I'm going to skip the first chunk and instead, nope, I lied. Nope, I lied. I want the first chunk. I want it. Let's do it. Helaman 13, three to four. What inspires your family about Samuel's response to the Lord's command in Helaman 13, three to four. During your family study this week, perhaps you could encourage family members to share impressions that come into their hearts. It's actually verse three that struck me from 13, uh, chapter 13. It says, but behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him that he should return again and prophesy unto the people whatsoever things should come into his heart. What I think, okay, in context of Samuel, here he has, he's gone to the Nephites. He's been cast out. He's been rejected. The Lord comes to him and says, you need to go back and you need to prophesy whatever I put into your heart. I've served a mission. I know what it's like to have rejection. You go to a door, uh, you know, you give your, you try to give your message, and the door slammed in your face. In fact, one of the very first tracting experiences I ever had, uh, me and my trainer are walking down the street. We had been tracting, no success. We go to this door. Uh, we knock. The door wouldn't even open. The blinds were moved by a, a broom or something, and someone just yells from the inside. Uh, you, you know, who is it? We said, you know, missionaries in the South, you do this little dance where it's, you know, they'll yell back who you'll say missionaries and then they'll say who, and then you say church people and they know who church people are. And from inside this door, after we said church people, uh, I don't know who it was. Obviously I never saw their face or anything, but they just screamed, uh, something like go away and get out of here. And so we were like, okay, have a nice day. And as we started to walk away, uh, we got to the sidewalk. Well, there's not really sidewalk in the South either, you know, but we'll consider it a sidewalk. As we got to the road, the door opened, someone screamed out in some really, I don't know, dumb accent or like, like they were mocking us and they just were like, get out of here. No one wants you. And that like, and I don't know why it was the dumbest thing, but that was one of my first experiences with both like rejection and tracting and, and stuff and. That one experience like burned me up. I was so mad and it just 
man, I remember thinking that I would never knock it out of the door again. I was a little dramatic, all right? I had to go through a lot of rejection before I built up that nice hard coding to, uh, to rejection. But I remember that. So I share that story because here Samuel the Lamanite has been rejected, probably way worse than my rejection was. And the Lord comes to him and says, go back. I would have a tough time. I'm not going to lie. Even though the Lord's telling me I'd have a tough time if it was, if, you know, after that door and that rejection, the prompting came to me to go back. But Samuel does. He acts upon that prompting and goes straight back, even though I think he probably knew that he was also like potentially putting his life in danger. The lesson here for me and uh, something to consider is that we need to act upon every prompting from God, even the ones that make zero sense to us logically. Like it's like, cause he could have said, are you serious? Like, did you see what they did to me? Like, obviously, of course the Lord saw the Lord knows everything. As we don't try and use our wisdom on the Lord. And as we just act upon the promptings, we get them. I can promise you miracles will happen. And, uh, obviously through Samuel's story, we do see miracles happen, but Who's to say which miracles of, of his own efforts he actually got to saw, excuse me, got to see because, you know, obviously at the end of this, he's still, he's chased off the wall and ends up going back to his own people. But we do know from the story that people did believe on his words and they did enter into the waters of baptism and uh, they were converted. So the lesson here for me that I took away is, is act on every prompting and do not do not question the Lord. It doesn't end well. Uh, in Helaman 13, the next chunk, Helaman 13 to 38, or excuse me, 13, 38. The idea that happiness can be found in doing iniquity is common in our day. In what ways has living the gospel brought us true happiness? And I just have one thought here is that the more I align myself and my will with Heavenly Fathers, I am always given an outpour of peace. That has been the single greatest blessing in my life is having peace and I see that more and more as things get a lot more turbulent in the world, in my life, in the not just like the things I I'm like that I see on the news, but even just in my my own personal strugglings in mortality. Being able to rely on that peace is a blessing that when it's not there, I notice. It's a huge change. And I do whatever I can to get that peace back. So uh, just like all, like, I think we're all in the same boat, but we need to make sure that we're, we're never finding happiness and iniquity and instead striving to find the true joy that comes from living the gospel and, and keeping the commandments. Next chunk, Helam in 15, three, how does God's correction show his love for us? Invite family members to humbly ask the Lord what they can do to improve. I'm going to read verse. I'm going to read that verse actually though. Yea, woe unto this people who are called the people of Nephi, except they shall repent. When they shall see all these signs and wonders which shall be bestowed, which shall be showed unto them, for behold, they have been a chosen people of the Lord. Yea, the Lord of ne the Lord, excuse me, the people of Nephi ha hath he loved, and also hath he chastened them. Yea, in the days of their iniquities hath he chastened them, because he loveth them. You don't bother with things that you don't believe in. So what I've experienced in my life, chastening from the Lord, it can be tough. It can be a tough experience. It's never fun. Especially when you ask that question, Lord, what lack I yet? He'll answer that question. Seems like he always is like really willing to, to answer the one when you're asking, how can I change and be a better person? And uh, sometimes you wish he would answer the other questions like, what next? Of like, uh, you know, 
what's the good things coming coming in my life next? But he's always willing to answer the ones that what can you do personally to improve? And I really do. I feel that. I, you know, he if we weren't worth like believing in, if we weren't worth the improvement, he wouldn't bother. Um, the Lord doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste his time. And he doesn't waste our time. And so if you feel like you've been chastised or chastened by the Lord, take great heart and comfort and uh, peace knowing that he believes in you. Um, the great Heavenly Father and Eternal Father of us all believes in you, that you're worthy of receiving such instruction. And uh, if you're going through hard times and it feels uh, like, you know, just a constant growing, burning process, don't look at that as like, you know, oh, like, uh, you know, poor me, woe is me, why me? Instead, look at it as like, what am I supposed to be gaining from this? And take heart knowing that the Lord trusts you and loves you enough to, to bother with you, you know? Of all the people in the universe, he's still aware of you and knows exactly what you need to be going through and the trials you need to be going through to become perfect and come back to him. And I I just think, it, it, like, I, trust me, I know. It can be tough to know and feel that in the moment. I know. But it's true, and I take great heart in it, and I hope you do too. I'm going to skip the next chunk and go instead to the final chunk, Helaman 16, 1 through 3. Would your family enjoy acting out the story of Samuel the Lamanite? After reading the account, maybe family members could take turns standing on a chair and reading some of Samuel's prophecies while other family members pretend to shoot arrows or throw stones. This could help your family understand how Samuel and the Nephites may have felt. Young children might also enjoy drawing pictures of the story. How can we be like Samuel and share the gospel with others despite our fears? So we did this activity. We had to alter it a little bit because I am not putting my one-year-old on a chair because <laughs> she will fall. But we did it with Flynn because I have no problem putting my three-year-old on a chair. So he he uh, he can't read yet, but... We did. We had him stand on the chair. We I read the story of Samuel the Lamanite. We picked some scriptures as I read. And we have these uh, indoor snowballs that a friend got for us. And so we took turns throwing snowballs at Flynn. The activity that we tried doing was that every time he was holding on to the scriptures, we had some scripture we gave him. Every time he was holding on, he couldn't be hit by the stone. So whenever he was holding on, we would just miss him. But anytime he put the scriptures down... He'd get pelted with snowballs. And the lesson we were trying to teach him was like, have faith in the scriptures. They make you strong. And then he loved the activity so much that he wanted to switch up the roles. And so I had to stand on a chair <laughs> and get pelted with snowballs. And uh, and then we made Alexis <laughs> stand up on a chair and get pelted with snowballs. It was a fun activity. Uh, he really enjoyed it. He actually enjoyed it so much that he, the next day, was asking to do it again. So... It was a good. It was a good activity for him. Did he learn anything about Samuel the Lamanite? I don't know. We'll ask him when he gets older. But nonetheless, it was still a fun family activity. I'm glad we did it. So there's some scriptures I want to read, and we'll close out. The first one is in Helaman chapter uh, chapter 13, verse 15. Yea, and woe be unto the city of Gideon for the wickedness and abominations which are in her. I want to point this out because if you remember. Back in Alma, Gideon is mentioned several times, and every time Gideon was mentioned, it was an extremely righteous city. The people were very righteous, and um, whichever prophet happened to be preaching in that city was always, always very pleased with the people of Gideon. So it's super sad in Helaman 13 when, you know, you find out that 
that they fall into wickedness and abominations. Um, it is so easy for righteous to become wicked. On the flip side, as we turn to the Lord and seek him in faith and repentance, it is easy for the wicked to become righteous. So always remember that no one is safe and done from temptation and sin. We're all in this together. We are all on this journey. We all need to help one another. And just because someone's testimony is strong today, it won't just stay like that. A testimony is not just a um, a non-moving object. It's it's always in motion and it's always in play. And that's, that is the war we're fighting today and every day is the war for our testimonies and our faith. And, uh, and who are we going to follow? So remember that. Helaman 13, 34 is the next verse I want to talk about. Behold, we lay a tool here, and on the morrow it is gone. And behold, our swords are taken from us in the day we have sought them for battle. Talking about the curse on the land. And really, this curse actually just sounds like uh, ADD, like on the land. I have ADD, and I swear to you, I will put stuff down. And cannot remember all the. This is all the time. Like this is a constant struggle for my like that I go through, and uh, that's what it sounded like to me when I read this verse. I was like, oh my goodness, it's the curse of ADD. Maybe I've been cursed. Maybe that's why. Uh, the next one is Helaman fourteen verse thirty. And now remember, remember, my brethren, that whosoever perisheth perisheth unto himself. And whosoever doeth iniquity, doeth it unto himself. For behold, ye are free. Ye are permitted to act for yourselves. And for behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. I just love that verse. That stuck out strong to me. I love that verse. God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. Brothers and sisters, we are free because of the knowledge that we have and the faith we have in Christ. As we continue to act on that faith and increase our knowledge, we are increasingly more free. And so it's upon all of us to continue to do so. Final verse that I want to talk about is Helaman chapter 16, verse 2. But as many as there were who did not believe in the words of Samuel were angry with him, and they cast stones at him upon the wall. And also many shot arrows at him as he stood upon the wall, but the Spirit of the Lord was with him, insomuch they could not hit him with their stones, neither with their arrows. So I'm going to assume that this was not a tall wall, because why in the world would if it was a tall wall, as in the picture at the beginning of this lesson shows, if it was a tall wall, who in the world believes that they are taking a rock and hitting the sky on a tall wall? So I can only assume that it must have been a small wall or people were wasting their energy and their efforts throwing it at a massively tall wall. Or You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe these people were just incredibly good at throwing rocks and could just launch them out of the stadium. You know, I don't know. But I'm going to assume that it was not a tall wall. Not that that matters, but something I thought about. Ugh, well, thanks for joining me in this family room discussion. And please share your ideas, questions, and insights that you gained from Helaman 13 to 16 with me. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.